Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're now in our 45th episode of 2021. What has been an amazing year for fiber and for Fiber Broadband Association. I'm currently in Chicago with my staff working on our 2022 plan and getting prepared for our premier member meeting on Capitol Hill the evening of Monday, December 6th and all day on Tuesday, December 7th at the Hyatt Regency on New Jersey. It's gonna be a fantastic meeting as we will review the significant progress of 2021, but more importantly, the road ahead in 2022. Given that NTIA is responsible for rolling out over 45 billion of the broadband infrastructure funding, we will have the assistant administrator there to share some insights. We're also gonna have some other key speakers on the future of fiber and the future of broadband policy. I hope you'll be able to join us. Uh, Reach out to Jennifer or Trish if you need any further details. Um, it's interesting that our premier member meeting is on December 7th, as last year on that date, the FCC announced the winners of the $16 billion RDOF auction, which ended up being not $16 billion, but $9.2 billion, and I'm not sure we we're actually going to end up. The good news is last week, the FCC announced it authorized over $700 million in RDOF awards to over 50 broadband providers in 26 states. As expected, these are largely fiber projects with electric co-ops and experienced providers. To date, the FCC has authorized 1.7 billion of the 9.2 billion RDOF funding it has awarded in the auction. Some other good news is that Senate Commerce Committee hearing for FCC Acting Chair Jessica Worsenworcel is scheduled today, and we expect a committee vote either later this month or early December. Uh, the hearing for Gigi Solm, nominated for the open FCC commissioner seat, and for Alan Davidson to head NTIA, could possibly happen on December 1st, uh, with a committee vote by the end of the year, depending on how those hearings go. Given the enormous jobs ahead for both NTIA and the FCC in 2022, it would be good to have that leadership in place, as this, this is our once-in-a-generation opportunity to close the digital um, equity gap once and for all. So speaking of 65 billion in infrastructure bill, there is 1 billion dedicated for middle mile. That moves us to this morning's Fiber for Breakfast session as today's topic is why the middle mile matters. And again, good morning and welcome everybody. I'm Gary Bolton, the president and CEO of the Fiber Broadband Association. You know, last week we met with Jack Lynch to discuss how public-private partnerships can accelerate efforts to close the digital divide. I always love talking to Jack as he's a data and stats guy. And speaking of big data, today's guest is Reed Fischler from Hurricane Electric. And no, Hurricane Electric is not an electric co-op or utility, but it's one of the largest internet service providers in the world. Reed is the senior director for Hurricane Electric, and he'll be, will celebrate his 28th year in the internet business. I don't know, Reed, has the internet been along that long? I don't know. It, it has, it has. <laughs> So Hurricane Electric has the largest number of internet backbone connections in 2021, making it the best connected provider in the world, according to the latest uh, Teller Geography uh, report. 
Hurricane Electric operates its own global IPv4 and IPv6 network and is considered the largest IPv6 backbone in the world as measured by the number of networks connected. Within its global network, Hurricane Electric is connected to over 200 major exchange points and exchange traffic directly with more than 7,500 different networks. Employing a resilient fiber optic topology, Hurricane Electric has no less than five redundant 100 gig paths across North America, five separate 100 gig paths between the US and Europe, and 100 gig rings in Europe and Asia. The hurricane also has a ring around Africa and a pop in Australia. In addition to its vast global network, Hurricane owns and operates two data centers in Fremont, um, California, including Hurricane's Fremont 2, the newest 2,000 square foot facility. Hurricane Electric offers IPv4 and IPv6 transit solutions over the same connection. Connection speeds available include 100 uh, gig E um, and 100 or 40 gig E, 10 gig E, and gigabit Ethernet. Um, so welcome, Reed. For audience. I, I, I am good. I just want to correct you. It's a 200,000 square foot facility, not 2,000 square foot facility. Oh, is that what I said? 2,000? Okay. Well, off by a few digits there. Just slightly. But, all right. So for audience, you know, please type in your questions as we go in the Q&A. And I'd like to turn it over to Reed. Thank you. And uh, good morning, everybody. For anyone who knows me, seeing me in the morning is, is a very rare occurrence. So uh, it's... Uh, Good morning, and it's sunny here in cold New York, and it's uh, very good to be with you. Uh, I just want to introduce myself again. I'm Reed Fischler, Senior Director for Hurricane Electric. Uh, Hurricane Electric is, as Gary said, the world's uh, largest internet provider, and we are we uh, con we concentrate and are a wholesale internet provider. We provide to the providers, and that, as uh, Gary insinuated, was just the um, validated by telegeography where they came out and said that we're the largest provider in the world, most interconnected. Uh, Hurricane has, as Gary said, a backbone that circles the world and has now 100 gig rings on all continents, uh, which is brand new. And uh, to that end, we actually are able to bring packets between networks more than any other network in the world. That being said, Let's talk about today's topic, which is why Middle Mile matters and why this is important to a company like Hurricane Electric. Just real fast, this is uh, our, our network map as of about a month or two ago. As you can see, we are very concentrated on, on North America with our own Canadian network, which goes Trans-Canada, as well as Europe, but also Asia, South America, Africa, and Australia. And we are able to bring packets between any of those continents generally without having to go to any other one of the continents. The only one where that does not hold true is in South America right now. But that being said, what is very important are what the actual dots are on this map, because that is what middle mile is. And that being said, if you look at a build that a member of the Fiber Broadband Association may be building, or a build that any provider may be making in a town or a city that is 60, 100 miles outside of one of these dots, 
the important thing to consider is how you are going to connect your network, which you are building, back to the internet. And not only how you're going to be connecting your network back to the internet, but if there is a spot where the internet is less expensive and more pervasive than any other spot where you could interconnect. And that is what I'm talking about here and what is the most important thing. Important uh, topic, the important, sorry, the important specific um, words that we're talking about here are carrier hotels and co-location facilities. And what you're looking for is a building that has multiple networks in it and hopefully an internet exchange to assist you in exchanging traffic locally. I am on the board of many different internet exchanges, one of which being one of the largest in the world, which is MICE, based in Minneapolis, but is for the entire uh, Midwest. The biggest thing that most people don't consider is they get rid of their traffic and they think that that's the end of it. But your customers are going to be very, very um, cognizant of both latency and routing to make sure where their traffic goes. And for example, we dealt with many people in Kansas City where every single one of their bits went back to Dallas, no matter what. And effectively for them to get to, Can uh, to Chicago, which was closer, they had to go to Dallas, then back up to Chicago. And that was a much more latent path than anything else and customers left that provider. So it is very important to consider routing and latency. And that's where middle mile actually comes into effect here. We have a, a layer two product, which works to help provide customers a connection between multiple sites on our network. But the reason why I wanted to bring this tool up conversation and the URL is over in the left hand side. The reason why I wanted to bring this tool up in this conversation was for you to see the difference in latency between networks and networks that care about latency and networks that do not care about latency and thus how networks are concerned uh, with middle mile. This is how the tool will appear once you let it load the entire way. You could put in a city pair or a building in the ALOC and the ZLOC. I'm sure we're all familiar with those terms. And what it will do is on the left-hand side, it will give you the current latency and the current routing for that path. And what you will see is because of our breadth of network, you will see a very low latency between any two cities in the world generally. And that is something that you must consider. I, I can tell you that we built in um, Montgomery, Alabama. And one of the important things that most people don't think about is Montgomery, Alabama is the home of Hyundai and Kia. And because of that, traffic is very important to get from there to Seoul, South Korea. And most people would not consider that there is Korean traffic based in Alabama. It's just not something that most people would consider. This tool allows you to see how that traffic 
would get from point A to point B. And this is not a looking glass for the internet. This is actually shows live connections. And um, it, it actually shows paths that we have, not uh, virtual LSPs or anything similar. And to that extent, that will help you understand how important where you bring your traffic to is to the product that you have to sell. So that, read, that, I'm just so I can understand this chart. Um, so when you have like in the US 79 and 72, so is, is that milliseconds? What what does no, that mean? What you're seeing there is number of buildings. This is this is number when this thing okay. comes up. So there are 72 sites uh, when this was brought up. There are 72 pops that were available on the East Coast and 79 on the West Coast. So when you drill down, uh, you will see those buildings become larger dots. But obviously from this view, the, the system is not gonna draw 79 dots on, on the west-hand side and 72 on the east. Uh, the better example of this is obviously in Brazil where the number is three. There are three pops in Brazil. So it's just, that's what it's showing you. Any other questions for that before I, I, I move on? So how do you see the latency from this chart, that chart? What you would do is you would type in, let's just say Hong Kong or Chicago or whatever city that, that we have a pop in, in the A-Log and Frankfurt in the Z-Log and choose the buildings that you're concerned about and hit map. And it will show you exactly how the path is built uh, circuit by circuit, including local circuits between the two locations. And that's every building we're in. But this is a, a tool that will help customers see how circuits actually get routed. And not only that, but it takes the, the veil off of how the internet works. It's not a black box and it's not something that, that doesn't make sense. This is how actual packets get from point A to point B. It's also how you'd be routed if you bought a level two circuit with us between A and B. However, in this point for this conversation, I really wanted to show this tool because this tool actually shows people how companies like Hurricane get circuits from like Chicago to Frankfurt um, by actual specific circuits, leg by leg. But isn't your routing gonna be dynamic? Is the, the routing is dynamic. However, what this tool shows you is the fastest available path when the snapshot was taken that morning. So if there is a fiber cut midday, this tool won't show it until the next morning because it's not a live tool as to not allow somebody to DDoS us and see the effects of it. Um, however, the idea, as I said of this, is not only that, but if, if you really wanted to, that there, and you wanted to spend hours, you could hit the graph button next to the map button, and it actually brings you into a, um, a live, uh, or live of the snapshot that morning, chart of our entire network, all interconnected with latency, so you could click on everything, and it's actually very, very, uh, it's huge, it shows all of our network, but it also shows what the world looks like when you remove the geography from it and look at it more on a fiber and network basis. The thing that I wanna concentrate here, and I, I, just, 
obviously was getting through um, the hurricane, which is important. But the thing I want to concentrate here is is on where to connect and how to connect, and then why that's important for the middle mile and what you're going to build. Let's say you're building something in Wisconsin. If you're building something in Wisconsin, obviously you're going to think that the, the two places that are most likely to have any sort of facility are Milwaukee and Madison. However, if you don't know where those are or you're looking for something else, the place where all the internet, and, and if you go to any internet event, Nanog, uh, Aaron, um, Canadian ISP Summit, any of these events, you're going to hear this drilled into you over and over again. The important thing, site that everyone uses is called PeeringDB, and, and the URL is on the screen. PeeringDB is, is open source. It is run by the internet, not any one company. Uh, it's not for profit. And what it does is it allows you to find buildings and networks and also internet exchanges anywhere in the world. And because it's double opt-in, it basically allows you to verify who's where in a facility. So for example, if I own a co-location facility, I can't say Google and Facebook are in my facility without Google and Facebook going in and verifying that they're in that facility. So it removes a lot of the marketing BS that's there. And it also allows you to see whether or not the network who is claiming to be there wants to popularize the fact that they're there. Maybe they're there just, uh, they have a rotom there and they just go through, there's no actual live equipment that's accessible. And they may be a customer, but they may not want to popularize they're there. However, um, in this case, with this company in, in Wisconsin, this fictional company in Wisconsin that we, we we're talking about, the important thing is for them to consider where it is that they want to be able to build back to. Because the worst thing to do is build a large network and only have the ability to connect that network back to the incumbent who theoretically would have been the one to have built that network to begin with, and that's why you're there. So the thing that you don't want to do is build a very large network and then basically just turn back around and connect it to the incumbent cable company or the incumbent phone company and effectively do their work for them. You want to have an original product and not only that, but you want to have the ability to adjust your product as your customer needs change. And PeeringDB is a site that you could use to find out where that site would be as well as the other important thing, which would be to possibly create a site with your neighbors uh, in networks that are in a, let's say, 100 to 200 mile radius of you. If you want to drive costs down, instead of you having to build a 200 to 500 mile loop to the nearest NFL city, the nearest major co-location facility, the New York's, the Los Angeles's, the Chicago's, Dallas, et cetera. In, instead of you doing that, speaking as Hurricane, I can tell you that one of the things that we look for when we build to a facility is the breadth of local connections in that facility. 
So one of the things that you want to consider as somebody building a fiber network in a local or regional area is perhaps creating a hub for the general area, including any competition that you have, because there, there's multiple factors here that we want to consider. And we can go to the next slide. It will actually, um, the, the things that you want to consider are that you can interconnect with your neighbors and not have to send that traffic all the way to your transit provider and therefore pay for it. You also could create a facility to keep all that traffic local and to drive business for the local area. And you don't need to go out and build a huge facility for this. We have seen, and I even suggest, a basement room in a, in a junior college that's local, a room in the firehouse. We are in a city hall data center in, in some areas. Um, you, of course, could do just a, a trailer at a, at a Rotom site on fiber. Uh, we, we've seen all of these things happen. And the value of these facilities is, is majorly twofold. A, it's going to lower your cost of interconnection to the internet because there will be, when you, when you create a facility that has more networks in it, you're going to create a place where companies such as myself will want to build to. And thus, when there are more people in that facility, it of competition, of course, drives the price down for internet in that facility. The other thing that it does is it allows you to have a shorter local tail from your network into the internet in general. And when you think about if you're building a, a network two, 300 miles away from a major city and you have to build a 300 mile tail into a city such as Chicago or uh, Dallas, et cetera, that circuit is not only prone to failure, but also is very expensive. And when we talk about infrastructure funding, if you're paying for a 300 mile circuit, that's gonna be very expensive. And if the funding ever is no longer there or no longer available, that is gonna be your most important piece because you've already put the fiber in the ground locally. That's there, that's an asset. It's that umbilical cord back to the internet that's gonna cost you a lot of money. If you could connect to either an existing facility, which, which you could find via peering DB, or create a facility with your neighbor networks and, and other uh, companies near you, that actually will lower your cost because companies, Hurricane, and, and also just speaking generally for the internet in general, will come to that facility because that's a new peering facility where networks that were not available anywhere else are grouping together, that will lower the costs for us and it will lower the costs for you. And it will also create a more resilient network because companies like myself will build in multiple paths into that building to allow for uh, fail safes that probably you would not be able to build on your own as, as a uh, small metro network 200 miles outside of a major city. Uh, let's go over this real fast. The, the other thing that is extremely important is uh, the third point here, 
which is there are many places in the United States, especially Canada. It, we, we see it right now with the, the uh, landslides in the, uh, BC cutting off Vancouver from the rest of Canada for fiber. It has to go through the United States. There's, there's really no path inside of Canada. There, there are many different paths, uh, major fiber routes in the United States, Canada, Europe, et cetera, that are separated by 30 to 60 miles of empty space. And there just never was a reason for a company such as a, a Zeo or a CenturyLink or AT&T or Verizon, et cetera, to build that path. However, if you're in one of those regions and you see that you could go east and west and hit two completely different paths, there may be, and probably is, a market for that 30 mile to 90 mile stretch to be built. If you find yourself in the middle of that stretch, you actually may be able to turn around and your product may be actually more valuable. The, 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 the 30 miles or 60 miles that you build may actually be more valuable than the metro network that you build, which was your original product. That's not to say at all that your original metro network is not important, it is, but having connecting two different disparate fiber networks routes in the united states has a huge value and you will find a lot of networks that are looking to purchase fiber between two different legs of their network uh, so for example someplace like st louis and indianapolis may both go back to chicago but there may be no fiber between now there are fiber between those two cities but there may not be fiber on one of the routes between those and there may be a huge value to, to closing the loop between two different routes on the network there's a huge value to connecting the u.s to canada there's very few interconnects between the u.s and canada when you consider it overall there's generally about six or seven interconnects between the two countries that are used. Hey, so if Reed, uh, just the, we're out of time, but to wrap this up, the if I was just to summarize, so basically what you're saying is, as all this infrastructure money is going out and you're building your local access network, um, that what you're saying is if you can have a wholesale exchange point, uh, you're gonna be better off because you'll be able to keep traffic local, local traffic local, You'll be able to have people that want to leverage your network, and you'll have lower cost of IP transit. Is that? That is correct, and not, and and not only that, but if you need to change providers at any point, you'll easily be able to do so because there'll be competition where your circuit ends, as opposed to bringing it to a carrier facility where you only have one choice. All right. Well, let me sneak in one question from the audience. Is uh, so for the Hyundai example you gave of getting Alabama to Korea, you know. Why is latency important? Is there is this assuming there are remote monitoring applications in place or? Yes, we, we find that usually the parent companies have, uh, when they build in, they have a arrangement made. However, all of the surrounding companies, companies that make the door locks, the companies that make the windows, et cetera, et cetera, they come in and don't have anything made. So they want to do real-time monitoring of their of their um, facilities, they want to do real-time collaboration and all of those things where if you have to route through Europe to get to Asia, 
or something similar, you're talking about doubling or tripling where some tools like voice over IP may not, may not work very well. Right, and robotic um, manufacturing, all this stuff can be controlled, you know, could be controlled in Korea or Alabama, so forth. Well, Correct. Reed, thanks so much. Really appreciate you sharing your experience and insights on Middle Mile. Um, and uh, I'm pretty excited about next week. Next week will be One Network is finally here with my good friend Dave Allen, who's a distinguished engineer at Ericsson. And he'll discuss uh, the 5G wireless wireline convergence. And this is kind of a special treat as I worked with Dave many decades ago, and he's uh, a brilliant innovator, technologist, and network architect. So you're not going to want to miss that. Uh, thanks again for joining us today, and we look forward to getting back together next Wednesday right before you head out for Thanksgiving. Thanks, everyone.